This is To The West and Back, a podcast that explores and unpacks the stories of passionate creatives who inspire us. We'll feature artists, photographers, filmmakers, musicians, writers, and just all around cool people. Everyone's got a cool journey that we can learn from, and it's our goal to provide a platform for them to share their experiences. Follow us on our journey as we talk to those who influence and inspire us with their endeavors. All right, Nick, today we have a true legend on the podcast. Do we? We do. Who is it? Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre. Like the Dr. Dre. The Dr. Dre. recording artist, Dr. Dre. Oh, no, like the the really cool other Dr. Dre. Oh, you mean the Dr. Dre. The Dr. John John. Dre. John Dre? John Dre. He's going to be here. He is here. Well, he's on the computer. He's virtually here. He is hanging out with us. Well... I can't wait. This is going to be the best one yet. <laughs> it is going to be great. So, Dr. Dre, welcome to the show. Wow. Thanks, guys, for that lead in. Uh, that's uh, that's great. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming. So t- tell everybody like a little bit about who you are and what you do right now. Sure. Um, well, currently, I'm a I'm a business professor at Illinois College, um, and I've been here for was my seventh year. Uh, prior to that, I'd been uh, in public higher ed and uh, mostly in Illinois for the last 30 some years. Um, uh, 19 years of it at Western where I was uh, 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 assistant associate and then full professor of marketing and department chair and then the associate dean for the College of Business and Technology. I'd worked 11 years uh, in a community college in Quincy, Illinois before that. Um, and uh, and had do quite a bit of uh, consulting work on the outside uh, in two very different fields. Uh, do a lot of work in logistics and in uh, Major League Baseball, uh, which have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but uh, one of them I got involved with because, frankly, it it paid really well, and the other one I got involved with because I just thought it sounded like fun. So it's kind of, uh, kind of the direction that, that, that went. Uh, but, uh, I, uh, uh, went to, went to IC as an undergraduate, uh, uh, and, uh, then went from Illinois college to Notre Dame, uh, for my MBA worked for about, oh, seven or eight years. Um, and then went back and started working on my, uh, on my doctorate in marketing and got my doctorate in marketing from Southern Illinois University down at uh, Carbondale, and uh, and uh, you know just been uh, been working um, working ever since. So it's been uh, it's it's been it's been a fun been a fun career. Um, I I'm one of the few people I just not one of the few people, but I'm one of those people that you'll meet that really likes his job and likes what he does. Um, I I enjoy, I enjoy coming to work every day. Um, it's uh, it's a, it's it's a pleasure coming in uh, to work and working with uh, with college students. I had somebody once who told me when I got first started in this business that uh, he says you better enjoy hanging out with twenty year olds um, because uh, otherwise it's a really long day. And I and I just I just find folks that are in that like nineteen to about twenty five year old age group just fascinating uh, because I, the enthusiasm four things is just, is just contagious. And I think it's one of the things that helps, helps keep me going in this field. Awesome. That's great. And perhaps the most, uh, or the best part of your career so far has been, uh, having Shago and I as pupils, right? It it is. Uh, (laughs) My, my, I think probably the pinnacle of my career is having not screwed the two of you up. Uh, (laughs) So now you get you, you got you guys were all, were awesome students. Uh, the, uh, uh, the 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 one thing that uh, you guys were I mean this is not just sucking up or anything like that. You guys were <laughs> always good students. You're always on you're always on time. And I was make, making the comment earlier to to Alan uh, that you know you guys are easy. Uh, frankly, um, you know. A lot of it is just making sure with folks like you that you challenge you a little bit and you don't screw it up. Um, you know the the ones where you, as a as a professor, where you earn your money, are the ones that if that you know 
they might not make it through college if you don't do everything right, or that their future kind of hangs in the balance. Uh, they could amount to something or they might not. And, uh, and sometimes you can, you can make a difference with those, with those kind of people, but you guys, ah, you guys would have been, would have been fine, you know, would have, would have been fine regardless. I'm, I'm just, I'm just glad I didn't, I didn't screw you up too badly. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you. We definitely appreciate the kind words and also just thank you for, I mean, we had a great, we had a bunch of classes with you and we yeah. learned so much. I mean, we still use those same concepts today. So thank you for everything that you did for us in college. And oh, we appreciate it. One of the things about a small college is that sometimes you feel like you walked out of IC with like a minor in Dre, uh, when you, <laughs> uh, there's so many classes. Um, so that is that's very true that's yeah. so funny <laughs> but always always great classes yeah. but I, I mean i enjoy the uh, uh that's one of the other things about this about about small colleges like this and, and students like you guys is that um uh when you get good people in a class particularly i, I think for example alan i think the first time i had you in class i think you were probably a sophomore in uh, yeah. in one of the classes and you, you know you get somebody in there that's that that's good and, and you see that they're a sophomore it's like oh thank god i'm gonna have that person for another couple of years <laughs> but then you've also got the folks that you look and sometimes it's not a great experience and you look at them and you say oh my god I, they're a sophomore i'm gonna have them for three more years uh <laughs> so uh but uh, uh but you know it's 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 still good um i I got to tell, I learned something from just about everybody I have in class in one, in one way or the other. Um, you know, I, I, we hope that sometimes uh, the classes are transformational for the students, but I know the process is certainly transformational for me as well. Wow. Wow. I, like I think it. we can just stop there. Yeah, we'll just call it a podcast. Okay. Well, <laughs> good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the things we love to do on the podcast is to kind of like dive into people's backstories. And you shared a really cool email with us earlier, kind of uh, detailing your backstory. So I was wondering if you could just kind of share um, just kind of lightly what you shared with us earlier today and about your backstory yeah, and journey. I, you know, one of the things that uh, that uh, we were talking about earlier is like my my background and uh, part of the reason this this came up, it was maybe about a week or two ago, somebody on I think it was in Facebook. It was yelling at me uh, about on politics, and they were basically accusing me of having been born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And it's like, if you only knew where I came from, uh, the little town. Uh, I'm from a town of 1,400 people. My dad was a coal miner um, uh, and did not graduate from uh, from high school. Um, and uh, the house we grew up in um, had uh, two bedrooms in it. My grandmother stayed in one bedroom, and then my mom and dad and my brother and I all slept in the other bedroom um, until we were about 10 years old, which probably explains why I didn't have any younger brothers or sisters, I think. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, eventually, my dad and another guy built a, a, another room on the back of the house, and that's uh, uh, that's where my brother and I then moved into that room they built back there, but, uh, uh, they didn't know how to run, uh, heat ducts or anything like that. So they built the room, but there's, there was electricity, but no heat. So we just kind of, you learn to do without. And so you just leave the door to the room open. Some, some heat kind of drifts in from the rest of the house and you just get a lot of blankets and you're fine. You just don't, you don't know any better. Um, and you know, it's one of those things when you're growing up, you don't realize you're poor until after you get out of it and you start actually meeting people that aren't because everybody else was, was pretty much about, about the same way. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a, it's a, like I said, a small town, not a place where education was typically, uh, very much valued at that time. Pretty much everybody that was there graduated high school, maybe and then went on to work in the coal mines. Um, so um, I, uh, I was able to get out and uh, uh, went off to Illinois College. Didn't know a thing about what college was about. My first, uh, my first class when I got to Illinois College, the, they handed out a syllabus. I didn't know what a syllabus was. I'd never even heard the word before. And so the guy handed out a syllabus to me for a eight o'clock religion class down in the basement of Ramelkamp. 
And he's handing me this document. And he says, we're going to go through all this over the course of the semester. And I'm looking through it. And I'm thinking, I can do this. I can, I can master this before the end of the semester. And then I realize, oh, crap, this is a list of the readings. This isn't just everything we're going to read. I thought, I thought all we had to read for the semester was this 20-page document he was handing out. This was like 20 <laughs> pages of reading. Like, oh, my God, this is a whole new world I'm in now. Uh, so it was, it, was an, it was an adjustment. I had no idea of what to expect uh, when I got here, uh, but uh, it, was, it, it, was an, it was an adjustment. But you adapt, and, you, and you, it works, and then I was pretty successful here and got accepted into grad school at Notre Dame and went there and got my, got my MBA degree and, uh, and then uh, eventually worked for a year uh, uh, building uh, economic development corporation, doing financing uh, for a lot of, for some small businesses uh, with government uh, loaning, loan packages. And uh, after a year of that in a job that was clearly going to go nowhere for me, it was just something I did because I needed to do something after grad school. I, I bumped into a guy who was the uh, president of the community college in Quincy. And for some reason, he seemed to like me and uh, told me if I ever was looking for a job to call him. And I called him the next day. Um, and uh, I think it was about, a, about a, two weeks later, I started work at the community college as his assistant. Um, and uh, that's how I got started in education. I really had no, again, just, I'm, I've been lucky. I stumbled into it thinking that what I was gonna do in education was, oh, it'll be easy. I'll just kind of, you know, it won't be a lot of work. I'll get to play a lot of golf. It's kind of like, like the Peace Corps with golf is what I kept thinking it would be. <laughs> And uh, it was not. It was not that. It was. It was hard work, and I had no idea how dedicated most of these people were. I, I had this image in my head that I was uh, that oh, there are a bunch of college administrators. They probably work about twenty hours a week, and you know they just they really don't care that much about students. It's just they're bureaucrats, and these people just absolutely. Uh, cared tremendously about students and about trying to help people better their lives. And it really kind of opened my eyes as to what college could be as a transformational thing to help people get from wherever they are to wherever they need to be. Well, it sounds like a pretty incredible journey um, that you've had so far. Yeah. What would you say the biggest lesson that you learned along the way um, from your early childhood to, you know, getting that first job, like what was the biggest thing that you kind of took from that journey? Don't buy when you can lease. Um, the, uh, no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, some of the things that, that you learn along the way um, are to, To be open to possibilities, I think more than anything else. I, you know, when I mentioned earlier that I find that I'm that I get changed a little bit by everybody that I meet in classes and that I'm exposed to, that it, that that's that's entirely true. And uh, the same way with every job and every place I've been, I you know I learn something, and I I basically am the probably the end, the end product of having been in all those places in contact with all, with all those people. So if I was giving advice to folks, it would probably be to, to allow yourself to be a little bit malleable to those things that go on around you. Um, uh, as long as it doesn't change the inner core of who you are, uh, I mean, you don't want to go you know, you want to, if you're a decent person, you want to remain a decent person, but there are going to be things in terms of how you view the world and how you view other people uh, that get changed just by virtue of where you, of where you are. Um, working out West in Montana for a year um, changed a, a lot of my views on, on things, not in terms of environment or stuff or anything like that. 
it was being around folks out in Montana. I was never used to that many people who lived that close to the edge on finances. Uh, I, was, I was just genuinely surprised about how many people lived paycheck to paycheck um, and how, you know, it was a, there was a whole community of people that I was surrounded by in Montana that uh, thought nothing of, you know, if they were a little short on, after, when payday was coming up, they would just round up some stuff from the house, take it down to the pawn shop, pawn it, get some money, and then just wait for payday and then go back and get it back again. And, you know, it was no big deal to them. And, you know, here I am, I'm, I'd be mortified uh, by something like that. But it was just a different, different way of life. And you learn after a while not to judge people on stuff like that. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's probably one of the things that comes through. Wow. Some good advice being dropped on the podcast <laughs> that today. That is some good advice. Um, so do you think that you were, it sounds like you are almost more influenced by, um, you know, the journeys that you've come across with other people than even your own journey. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, so the things that have really kind of, um, changed me, uh, for better or worse along the process, um, Illinois College changed me for the better, I will say that, as an undergraduate student. Uh, when I came to IC, I was a very bright and very introverted uh, person who was not as bright as he thought he was. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have a guy living in the room next to me who would not allow me to be as introverted as I wanted to be and would literally drag me out of the room and, and throw me into a beanbag in his room and make me be social. <laughs> um, and um, I, I'm forever in, in his debt. Um, the, uh, and Illinois College made me, I think, a better person, particularly at a social level. It also made me a lot better at being willing to try stuff. Um, uh, that was one of the great things about IC. I can't imagine where else you would go, where at that time I was um, keeping all of the stats for the basketball program for the NCAA uh, stuff. I was uh, doing uh, 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 a couple of theater productions a year, and I was working on a campus radio station that we had, and then writing for both newspaper and yearbook and stuff like that. I mean, who gets to do all of those things at the same time on, at a large university? Yeah. And Illinois College gave me that. And then I, I oftentimes describe my two years at Notre Dame as the best and the worst two years of my life. Uh, uh, it's... And it's in part because you never know what you're capable of doing until you are pushed to your limits. And Notre Dame pushed me to that limit and then, and then a little bit beyond that. Um, uh, at, uh, I was able to get through uh, as a student up to that point, largely just by opening a book, reading it and, uh, when it was assigned reading through it the night before an exam and then going in and taking a test and making an A or B on a test. And you can't do that at, at Notre Dame. That's just not going not gonna to cut it. And uh, I was doing poorly, let's just say that, at Notre Dame my first year in the program. And um, they told us on the first day, they admitted 100 students nationally into the program. They told us that a third of us would be gone after the first year. Um, I, I was probably number 65 on the list. There was, I think, one other guy below me, and then everybody else was gone after that first year. So I was just hanging on. And I decided after a while that I was going to stop trying to learn the way I'd always learned, which was what I'd been doing trying to memorize things and these little mnemonic devices that people do and that, and instead start just trying to actually master as much of the material as I could, because I figured, look, if I'm going to flunk out of this place, at least I need to leave being able to do something. 
because uh, I'm going to have to get a job afterwards. So I stopped studying for grades and started studying just for knowledge and, and the ability to do things. And after that, I, I made, I think, one B in the second year of the program. I, grades shot up, shot up dramatically, and, uh, and it, it showed me what was possible at that point. Uh, but uh, uh, so it was, you know, it, it was a horrible thing at times and a great thing at times, but it was, it was probably the ultimate pressure cooker for me because, um, as I was mentioning before, St. Patrick's Day is a great day for, uh, for my family. I'm, uh, my great-grandfather is from Ireland, and uh, so I grew up Irish Catholic. So when you're Irish Catholic and you get admitted to Notre Dame, the only thing that's better than that is if I'd have been named Pope. I mean, that's, that's the only thing I could have done better is to, uh, and basically in the local community from back in Kincaid, it would be, be named Pope. And so when I'm really struggling academically up at Notre Dame and I'm calling home, all I'm hearing from my parents is about how they're bragging on me to everybody and telling everybody about, about the fact that I'm up there. And it's just like, uh, will, please, would everybody shut up? This is just, I'm dying up here. And, but, but I can't tell them that. And so eventually I, I got it turned around, but uh, it was, it was, it was a very difficult, difficult and trying, uh, trying time. You sound like a natural educator, but that's not what you, that's not where your career was supposed to go, right? No, no, I was, I wasn't supposed to, I didn't go to, I didn't, when I went to Notre Dame, if somebody told me I was going to be a college professor afterwards, not only would I have laughed at that, but the Notre Dame faculty would have laughed also. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there have been a couple of them up there that after I got uh, I got I got at Western and got into some fairly responsible positions there. Uh, I would run into them at conferences, and they would ask me what I was up to, and I would tell them. And the response is always, "Really, you? <laughs> like, yeah, you? you? <laughs> yeah, me? I, I did that. Um, you know, I." Uh, you know, I was the guy who took a finance class and uh, we were given an assignment to do at the time a financial analysis on, uh, on, the val on determining the value of Chrysler Corporation. Chrysler at the time was on the verge of bankruptcy. And uh, uh, there was a guy by the name of Carl Icahn who was looking at, at uh, potentially buying out Chrysler and we're given a task of trying to determine what the appropriate value to pay for it was. And everybody put together these mess of spreadsheets of trying to figure out the value. And I did the spreadsheet stuff, but I based most of it on the fact of looking instead at what would happen if Chrysler was allowed to fail and all of those workers instead were then taken off of the tax rolls and placed as a burden in society so that the fact that the government would not allow Chrysler to go bankrupt and so and that I wouldn't be the only one that knew that a buyer would know that as well and that inflates the price of the corporation and I got a C for that uh, and uh, and and the darn thing the darn thing was uh, when Chrysler Corporation was acquired, it was it was much closer to the inflated price that I had put in there than what most of my the other people in class had because they were simply working off of the, off of the spreadsheet and not off of what was not only the the value of the assets involved but also of the political realities of it. Um, and you know that that's why I think nobody thought I'd probably do this kind of stuff because I was, I was much more wired for trying to figure out deals and things of that nature uh, than, uh, than something else. And, and, and frankly, there's more money to be made in doing that other kind of stuff. I, I you know, one of the, I, I don't know, I don't know how, to, how, how quite to put this. Um, I just feel really, really fortunate that I found something that I'm, 
reasonably good at and that I enjoy doing. Uh, because I've, I've been through periods where I found things that I'm good at that I just really could care less about and things that I love doing and I suck at doing them. Uh, and, you know, there were pretty much through, a, a, there was a long, there was a long period where I just, I was in one of those, one of those things where the thing that I really wanted to do, I, I couldn't, I, I was just awful at, um, when I, uh, in my, uh, in my teen years, I would have, I would have done anything to have been a halfway decent baseball player. I just, I'm, but I, I'm, I do not have, uh, I can't, I can't break 80 miles an hour. Uh, that, and you know, it's, it's bad when you try to pitch inside and the person who's batting just catches the ball with their hand. Um, <laughs> Uh, so you can't intimidate anybody that way. So, uh, and then at the same time I was doing that, I was finding out that there was something I was good at that was just like, whatever. And I, so I, I started playing chess when I was probably about 11 or 12 years old. And, um, I ended up placing, um, in the, uh, uh, in a, in the final round of the state championship when I was like 15, uh, for Illinois. And by the time I'd graduated high school, I, there was at the high school level, there wasn't anybody left in downstate Illinois that I hadn't beaten. Uh, and it, I couldn't care less. It was just like, it was, it was something to do. Uh, and I didn't really care about winning. I just hated to lose. And that was the only reason I, I, put any effort into it at all. So the fact that I, when I got to doing this and it was something that I really enjoyed doing and it was also something that I, I seemed to be reasonably successful at, it was like, this is, this is perfect. That's kind of, I know what people feel like when they say they've got a calling for something. So that's pretty cool. And then fast forward to now with baseball, I mean, you work with some major league teams. Can you kind of uh, walk people through like what you do and how you've incorporated that into classes? Sure. Um, uh, going back to 2004, um, I needed something. I wanted to do a project in one of my class, in one of my MBA classes that I was teaching at the time. And rather than just finding some random company to do it in, I thought, you know, might as well do it in something that sounds interesting. Uh, it could probably be easier to keep students engaged if it's a company that's, uh, that's of interest to them. And so I just started cold calling uh, baseball teams because I've always obviously enjoyed baseball. And I tried about half a dozen or so of them. And eventually I got one that called me back and that was the Milwaukee Brewers. And so we, uh, we arranged everything uh, for doing a project. I was working, uh, working with some folks there. And right before we were ready to start the project, after about a year's worth of work, um, the Seelig family that owned the Brewers at the time sold the team. And that meant everybody that I was working with was gone. Oof. And a whole new group of people came in and they had no idea who I was. And so we started over from scratch. And so it was like another year or so. And eventually I was able to get some traction with the new group and, uh, and they, and they were great to work with. And some of those people from 2004 with the brewers, I still work with today um, and talk to just every once in a while. Um, but I've since we've since then worked with the, uh, with the brewers, the St. Louis Cardinals, the Detroit Tigers, the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, Kansas city Royals and of other things we've last year we did a couple of projects with the chicago bears uh we've done work with the indiana pacers on some things and then several minor league and some uh some college and a few uh independent league teams as well um and the, you know most of the stuff that we're doing is the kind of stuff that you could do for that isn't really baseball related i mean it's it's business projects that just happen to be for baseball teams. Um, uh, but uh, uh, 
and that's those are probably, frankly, the best kinds of things to work on, because you know uh, there's a lot of folks you know who work on those things that are never going to work for a baseball team. They're never going to work in sports, but uh, they can learn a skill and it keeps them interested, and they'll put it on their resume, and it'll be at least a talking point of something that they can engage with an interviewer on and who's likely to see it and say, what, what exactly did you do with the Detroit Tigers? And how did you get connected with that? And so you can then, you know, start talking about, you know, about what somebody did with the Detroit Tigers. And so it's, it's, it, it's, it's been fun. I, I've learned a lot uh, from, uh, from doing it. Uh, and s- some of the things that I've, that I've learned have actually made me feel a lot better about some of my own decision-making. Uh, I think I, it's, it's made me feel a lot smarter sometimes about uh, some of the things that I see going on in, in that particular field. Uh, baseball sometimes is not the most progressive of fields for, for sports decision-making. The NBA has a lot more, uh, a lot more progressive uh, decisions in it. In baseball, and I'm, this, I'm not talking out of school here. I think there would be, uh, most people in the field would probably agree with you, uh, agree with me on it. Uh, there's a tendency uh, to want somebody else to try something first and then everybody else wants to follow suit. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so nobody really wants to be the first one to take, to do, take some bold step. Um, and, and so uh, the, the NBA is a little bit different than that. And M- MLS is a lot different than that. Um, but uh, baseball is a little bit more conservative and the NFL is more conservative like that too. So it sounds like you do have, hobbies i mean like even if it's part of your career i mean i know i've said you know i don't want to say that designing things or taking photos is a hobby of mine because it's something i do as a job and i mean that's what you do as a job i took my favorite hobby and turned it into my job every day so i feel like that's what makes the best careers is that you really do love it i mean you would in a world where none of us worked you would probably still find a way to do these projects i feel like well, I, I, to to a certain degree, yeah, I, I think there, there's some of it that I, w- I would still be in. I would still want to be involved in, in some respect. Um, uh, I enjoy the work. Um, the uh, more than the work, though, I think I enjoy the student reactions to it. Uh, uh, some of the some of the best times I've ever had uh, have been road trips with students to St. Louis and Milwaukee uh, before COVID hit when we would go up and do these things. And I'd be in a, in a van with people, particularly go to Milwaukee for five hours. And after a little while, everybody just kind of forgets about me up front driving. And I get this little window into everybody's life where people are talking about stuff and at times I'm really amused and at times I'm horrified by what I'm hearing. Uh, but it is, it, it's just, I, it's just priceless. It's just, it's like being a fly on the wall at times uh, for things. Um, and uh, so it, it's, yeah, it, it is, it is a great, a great experience. I don't know how much longer I'll continue to, uh, to do them. Um, uh, uh, there have been some things I've been working on in the last year um, uh, and in, in terms of baseball, in particular, after all of the uh, all, all of the stuff with uh, with George Floyd and uh, that came up uh, last summer. I I started thinking about, you know, is there anything I can do, you know, what, what what's an old white guy in in, in Jacksonville do? about something like this um, and about the, the only thing I could think of where I could make any kind of uh, meaningful contribution was we started going through in the area of baseball and well I'll, actually all the sports and started looking to see if we could find any patterns of, of, uh, of if there were um, of how people are hired into into business management positions uh, within professional sports. So this gives you an idea of what I do with my summers and stuff. But um, 
I would start going through uh, a team's website, pulling every name of anybody that works in a managerial capacity that's not like in things like coaching or something like that, just in the business side of it. Make a list of all their names, then go out and start going through LinkedIn and seeing where did they go to school? Where have they worked before? What, how long did they work at each of these things? And then pulling photos, trying to figure out, you know, because the leagues won't tell me what, what percentage of people are male and female, what percentage of folks are uh, African-American. Um, and so we, start, we started building this. And right now I've got 2,200 people and uh, names and, and, uh, and uh, backgrounds built for baseball of everybody that works in a managerial role. I've got photos on 90% of them. I've had um, a little uh, pool of students, um, multicultural pool of students serving as, as judges, looking at photos and trying to categorize. Uh, and the only categorization we're making is whether somebody appears to be of African descent or not of African descent. That's it. Um, and you know, it's depressing. I mean, it's, um, uh, it's, I think the, uh, about 6% of everybody that works in a business capacity in baseball is appears to be of African descent. Um, and, uh, compared to, a, the, uh, U S population being about 14% in that area. Um, and for women, um, the overall percentage of women who work in baseball is 35%, which sounds not that bad mm. until you dig into it and you find out that why it's 35%, most of those are at the lowest possible levels and it gets fewer and fewer as you go up. And there are things such as, for example, when you get to the VP level in areas like ticketing and ticket sales, uh, 92% of ticket sales VPs are men. In the last five, in the last three years, excuse me, there have been 70 openings for ticket sales VPs. 65 of them were filled by men. Wow. Um, and, you know, at a, at a certain point, you know, I think there are people like me, and particularly at this point in my career, where it's time for some, for some folks to kind of stand up and say, you know, this isn't right. Um, and, you know, I understand why it's hard for, if you're working for a team to do this, because you could probably end up getting yourself blackballed. Uh, but I don't have that problem. Uh, so, you know, I, I, it just, I, just letting it go isn't, isn't an option anymore. Sorry, this, is, this was a lot more upbeat right before I got into that whole, that whole thing. I, uh, <laughs> no, that's, I mean, that sounds like a really powerful project. It, well, it, it is. And, uh, and I just, I, that's that's one of the things that I want to see to the end before I, before I stop teaching. I want to, I want to see that go, go where you, at least I don't know. First off, I don't know if I can get anybody who's willing to publish it as an academic type piece, but I think it is probably something that um, I'll have to work with and find um, a journalistic outlet for it in mm -hmm. more mainstream media and just kind of poke the hornet's nest a little bit with it. And, you know, I, it's not my style to do that kind of stuff. I'm not, I've never been somebody, somebody like that, but like, like a lot of people since last summer, the frustration levels are just at a certain point where, some things just aren't right. And, you know, anything that, you know, I don't think I don't, I'm not comfortable. And I don't think really 
any of us that are probably Caucasian ought to be out trying to lead anything on this. I think that comes off as really tongue deaf when people do that. But if I can just add a voice to the, to the uh, choir of voices on it, uh, that's fine. So. Well, Dr. Dre is woke. That, now, there is a word that I don't think has ever been used for me. And I've, I've been described <laughs> as just damn near everything else. But woke is not one of them. Um, uh, whack, I've been described as. Uh, Jessica Frausto used to refer to me as dope. I had to call one of my kids and ask me, ask them if that was positive or not. And they told me it was. Uh, uh, so, I mean, we just talked about, you know, all the, the work you do with sports teams, but it sounds like you're, you said in an email that you're also working on a branding experiment for a coffee shop and that, that you also. Yeah, um, last year in, uh, in the capstone course, um, we did a project for a, uh, a coffee company out of St. Louis called these coffee. Um, they've got a two or three, uh, maybe three or four, uh, retail outlets in the St. Louis area. And, uh, then other retail outlets around, um, uh, you know, They've got some in Atlanta and I think some in Hawaii and some other locations. Um, and they sell coffee in uh, a few other locations. Uh, and they had, uh, I had met one of their owners and uh, we were talking about the possibility of, um, of helping them for identifying a distributor for getting outside of the St. Louis market. And since I've worked in some in logistics and transportation management and that, it seemed like a decent fit. So we had a project form where we kind of laid out what the criteria they should be looking for in choosing a distributor. And they seem, they seem to like that. So we came back to them again this semester and we're looking for a project. And they said they wanted to do something, but they had no idea what. And we just kept waiting and they kept, they were waiting for us to figure something out. We were waiting for them to figure something out. And finally, uh, I pitched them this idea of, of doing some, uh, it's, it's basically a, an actual controlled experiment of doing some taste testing on their coffee. And, uh, and they've, they've got some brands that they are thinking about, uh, in one case, pulling one from the market and another case about introducing something to the market. So we're going to do, uh, we're going to do taste tests and run a controlled experiment with some students and with faculty and staff here at IC and, uh, and do it the, way, the same way you would do it if you were working at Procter and Gamble and you're, you're running, you're running an experiment with that, with uh, treatment and control groups. And, uh, and we're, uh, I, you know, it's basically, a. uh, uh in experimental design terms, it's a, it, uh, we are crossing subjects. Um, if, uh, and it's, a uh, uh, and the thing that I, I'm kind of really pleased with is the three students I've assigned to work on it aren't three A students. They're just three guys. And I think they'd probably agree with that characterization. And it's a wonderful opportunity for three guys who are just, you know, average students to be involved in a, in a really above average project. Um, and I, and I think that's important that, um, and it's one of the things I've, we try to do around here is just to make sure that not at, that the, really the great projects that you have come up, don't just only go to the superstar students. I know that I am not here by just my own ability or whatever. There's a lot of people that, that, that did a lot of things that to get me here, um, starting with, with my parents. Um, I mean, I was able to go to IC and then to Notre Dame and graduate without a dollar of debt anywhere. Um, based on what a coal miner and a, and a nurse made. And um, my parents were the kind of folks who um, just saved every nickel and dime that they had. Um, the, uh, I was talking before about, you know, growing up in a, in a room that had no heat or anything like that. That, you know, 
they were, my mom would describe them as thrifty. Uh, cheap was, might be a different way of putting it, but uh, I pulled the census records, by the way, on the house once. I, I was curious. Uh, my, uh, my dad bought the house um, for uh, $895. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it was, um, uh, it's, it was just folks who recognized that that their success was going to be their children's success. Mm -hmm. And so that then became my goal is I wanted to make sure that both of my kids got to go wherever they wanted to and that they were going to graduate from college debt free. So my daughter went to Illinois and, and uh, got a math degree from over at Illinois. And my son went to Marquette and got a uh, uh, degrees in philosophy and English from Marquette. Uh, and uh, that's where they both wanted to go, and that's 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 what they did, and um, and that's that's fine. I mean, that was part of the reason why. By the way, I also went back in, into administrative work at Western as a department chair and then as associate dean, was to just make more money so that I could help pay for that kind of stuff, uh, because I didn't. I it would I would have been horrified if I could not have done for the two of them what my coal miner father and and my mom did for my brother and i so yeah yeah that had to have been so rewarding too and i mean you get to you get to have that rewarding experience with all of your students too is that why you you know continue to come back every year yeah i mean i i just i I like you guys. I'm sorry. I just can't, I, I can't help it. Uh, I, I really enjoy being around students and there, there is nothing better than asking a question, getting a response back that makes me think and getting a, getting something going back and forth between the two of us in class. That's just the best. Um, uh, because a lot of times, you know, professors talk about all the time about that they can, when they notice the light bulb going off. Okay. And, you know, and th there, I do enjoy that part of it. But frankly, that light bulb goes off in me too. Uh, there have been a lot of times where I've come out of something thinking, you know, oh, I never thought of it that way. You know, that, that's, that's really good. Um, and, uh, you know, and 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 you guys and you guys are good, are good examples of that. I mean, there are just times where I'll go into class thinking, okay, I'm this this thing could be explained at like maybe three or four different levels, and I'm going to explain it at this kind of moderate level, and then one of you would ask a question. It's like, okay, we're going deeper. Uh, so let's, let's go, let's go a little deeper. And every once in a while, people ask me a question that is at a level that I have never gone to with it before. So then that's, you know, if you're not working in higher ed, you never go those places. Uh, I mean, those are the kinds of things that people say, what's the point in talking about that? And well, that, that's how we stretch as people. I mean, that's, that's that's how you how you become more than than what you are, um, and I, I like I said I just I just enjoy, enjoy the process, um, and I think I get as much out of it that as I put into it, um, and I I just I, I just enjoy, enjoy the work. I don't know how else to how else to put it. Um, yeah. Well, this has been a fantastic episode. Um, thank you again for agreeing to do this. It's been great. Yeah. We, we have one more question for you. Um, cool. So what is one important motto or piece of advice that you've lived your life by? Um, the, uh, <clears throat> at a professional level, uh, the one thing I always have tried to do, whether it's uh, as a faculty member or as an administrator, is to put the needs of 
what or put whatever is in the best interest of a student first and approach each situation with that in mind. Now that doesn't mean that you give students what they want. Um, but uh, I think of myself, my, the relationship between myself and students much more like a doctor patient relationship than anything else where a doctor doesn't, if you come in to see a doctor and you say, you know, doctor, I, uh, I think I've got cancer. Can you give me a bunch of cancer drugs? And the doctor says, sure, and hands you a bunch. Of, that, that, that's not the way it works. Right. The same way here that if somebody comes into class and says, you know, um, I just want to get credits and I don't really want to learn anything or, or whatever. I, I mean, um, you know, I'm going to give you what you need. It may not just be necessarily what you want. And so um, I try to focus on what is it that people need. And sometimes people need to have their hand held or they need to be told it's going to be okay. Um, sometimes people need to have their ass kicked. Um, and the one thing I've probably gotten better at over the years is figuring out which one's which. Hmm. Um, uh, and so at, at a, you know, I think it's actually, this job is not that hard. If you keep it, if you keep that as the kind of guiding principle in things a, away from here, uh, I, you know, I, I don't talk about this in class at all. I, I am, I'm a, I'm a pretty religious guy. I mean, I, I'm one of those folks who goes to, who goes to church every, every Sunday. Um, I'm, uh, I'm a cradle Catholic, uh, yet I do not, um, necessarily take everything completely as to what there are things I dis I disagree with. I've read enough, um, to know that, uh, that despite what uh, some people will say, that my, that my faith allows for divergences of opinion. If, if you, and if anybody's ever read uh, Summa Theologica by, uh, by Aquinas, uh, the idea that faith and reason uh, do, not need, do not need to be separated, uh, we can have a reasonable difference of opinion on things and even on matters of faith. And as long as people arrive at those in legitimate ways, it's okay. Um, and so I, you know, I'm, I've become increasingly comfortable because of things like that. I think with who I am, um, and a lot more so, I think, since I've kind of come back to Illinois college, um, in, uh, from 2014 on, um, but put the other, put the needs of students, um, first and, if you do that, every, everything else kind of lines up pretty well. Thank you so much again for being on with us. Seriously, I mean, uh, if there's anything you get, you guys need, uh, uh, marketing stuff or just anything else, just, just give me a holler. If there's anything I can, I can do to help. Uh,